So this morning we are going to talk about our supernatural Savior that we have has stepped into history and absolutely redeemed us completely. And I spent last weekend on the women's encounter with about 35 women that are a part of this church. And it is always such an amazing reminder to go on an encounter and and see and remember what God has done for us. And so this morning, I essentially want to walk us through that, what Christ has done for us. And even though that may seem very elementary, you know, in the faith, but it's so important that we keep that on the forefront of our thoughts and our minds when we think about our faith and think about what God has done for us. So these are the things we're going to walk through um, before we know God and then getting saved and then seeing it through to the end. So we're going to start with the terror of God's presence. And I realize that this is not a very popular topic to talk about at church, right? Like, come to church, let's talk about how terrifying God's presence is. But it is important. I believe it's one of the many uh, revelations that you need to have in order to fully understand the grace that was extended to us. And so it's so easy to kind of skip over what the presence of God would be like without the cross because we have the cross, right? We are standing in a point in in the timeline of human history where we are after the cross, which thank goodness because it's such an amazing time to be on this earth because we get all of God's wrath poured out on the cross and not on us. So it's, it's not a common thing to stop and take time and think What is my life like without the cross? What is the presence of God like when you don't have the cross taking that wrath? But I think that it's important that we spend a few minutes this morning thinking about that, remembering, having that revelation. And so we think, I think sometimes, that when we are witnessing and when we're telling people about God, we kind of want to skip over the part that seems scary because we just want to get to like the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness, which is wonderful, which is good, which is there for us. But encountering perfect holiness is scary. Encountering perfect justice is terrifying without the cross, right? And we see throughout history that the presence of the divine always brought fear to the hearts of sinners. That was always the reaction. We see Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned, hiding from God. Moses came down from the mountain after speaking to God, not realizing that his face was glowing from the glory of God, and the Israelites were terrified. We see shepherds in a field cowering in fear when they hear the words, peace on earth, goodwill to men. We see Paul on the road to Damascus being confronted, fall down on the earth, fall down on the ground in terror. And this terror that we see happen when you're in the presence of the divine, when you're in the presence of a holy God, is not a terror of just like, oh, what's gonna happen to my body? You know, I'm gonna be killed right now. It's far deeper. It's a dread that goes to the inside of who we are because we know he sees everything. There's nothing hidden from his eyes. And when I stand and see myself, my life, my thoughts, my actions in the light of a perfect, holy God, it brings terror to your heart. 
when you don't have the cross, before you have that forgiveness to take on that wrath. And this is so important. A.W. Tozer said, no one can know the true grace of God who has not first known the fear of God. Because if we don't know how much we really needed a supernatural savior, then we cannot love God like we ought to fully. We cannot appreciate the grace that he won for us. If we're just like, eh, yeah, whatever, you know, I was okay. So we have to have this revelation of our sin, of our wretchedness. It's such an important part to our faith and It's important to know about holiness and that God has standards and there's justice and there's right and wrong and he is perfect in that. That is important because he cares about your future. He cares about your future here and he cares about your future in eternity. And we know that he loves us because he has standards and he wants to see us spend eternity with with him. Because if you were raised, or if you know someone who was raised by parents who didn't have any standards, there wasn't any rules, no discipline, I have people in my group that were raised that way, I have friends, and you think that it maybe sounds like cool, like that'd be awesome to be raised, I don't have any rules, I can live however I want, I can decide who I want to be, but you know what those children felt when they grew up in homes that had no discipline, no structure, no standards? They felt unloved. I have a very dear friend, and she tells me about her childhood. She said, you know, it didn't matter if I left the house at 3 a.m. to go out with friends in middle school. I could get drunk. I could get high. I started failing school. I would bring my grades home. I was just hoping that they would care. And she said, I never got in trouble, never got in trouble for bad grades, for getting in trouble with the law. And she said, I felt so unloved because they did not care about my future. It did not care that I wasn't going to have an education, that I was getting a criminal record, and I felt like no one cared for me. Listen, today know this, that God cares about you. He cares about your future. He cares about what happens to you, and so he has standards. He is holy. But to realize that means we have to recognize our own wretchedness, and no one likes to do that, right? We live in a society now where it's like, No one should make you feel bad about anything. But it's not like that with the kingdom of God. It's not like that with Christianity. We have to come in with a revelation of knowing how sinful we are, how much we miss the mark. The Bible says that we are actually born as an enemy of God, that God is our adversary when we're born into sin. Now, the the wonderful thing about God is he is the most wonderful adversary. He's the most wonderful enemy you could ever have because he is constantly trying to save us, right? What other enemies in life do we have that's like, you're an enemy of me, but I'm going to try to save you so that we are no longer enemies. And that was Jesus to us. That was God to us. We were enemies of him. And I heard it described once as this, that it's like, if you've ever seen or you can imagine a kitten that's like, stranded in the middle of a rushing river and they're just holding on to this branch sticking out of the water or you know staying on a little stone and the water is about to sweep over them and then you go and you're like oh, let me rescue this little kitten and you're reaching out to try to save this kitten do you, what does that kitten do it's swiping it's screaming it's fighting you it thinks that you are the enemy and you're like I am trying to save you I'm going to pull you up from the raging river and place you on dry land and that's what it's like with God as our enemy before we've accepted the work on the cross 
that he's trying to save us, and he has done all the work to save us so that we don't have to be enemies of God anymore. And when you honestly see your life in light of the holiness of God, you can't help but have gratitude and repentance overflow from your heart, pour out of you when you have that revelation. And I want to be clear this morning. I'm not up here just trying to make you feel bad. Let me point my finger in your face and make you feel really guilty so that maybe you'll get saved, you know, because everyone needs to be scared of hell. I'm not trying to this morning to make you feel guilty. Guilt does not lead to true repentance. It doesn't. That's not my purpose here this morning. What I'm hoping, what my prayer is that we receive a supernatural revelation of our need for God. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. No matter how much I say, look at all these things that we're not doing according to the Bible. We fail here, here, here. No matter how much I say that, no matter how guilty I make you feel, it doesn't matter because you can go out those doors and find a hundred people who agree with you and will say, oh, you don't have to feel bad for that. That's not, I'm super, we need a supernatural revelation of the terror of God's presence if we were to stand before him without the cross, without the cross receiving all the wrath that was intended for me because there's consequences for my actions in an eternal sense. The Christian must fear God, but it is another kind of fear. It is a fear rather of what might have been than of what is. It is a fear of what would have come were we not in Christ. Without such fear, there can be no true love, for love of the Savior is proportioned to one's horror of that from which man has been saved. When I was a child, we had BB guns, and we were allowed to play outside and shoot stuff. Now, whatever you think about that, okay, but this was 25 years ago, and we were raised in Sanford, and so we had BB guns as kids. And so there was one day my younger brother and I had a balloon that the helium had gone out of. And so we were like, okay, we need to pop this balloon. And I'm like, let's shoot the balloon. That's how we'll pop it. So Jared put the balloon on this uh, cement sidewalk that led to our driveway. And I backed up and I got the BB gun and I shot at the balloon, missed the balloon that was like two feet in front of me. The BB ricocheted off the cement and hit the side of our van and shattered the windows out of our van. I placed the gun down or handed to my brother, I don't remember, and I ran and took off into the woods and hid. And we lived on five acres, and every neighbor had five acres. There was a lot of woods to just disappear in. And so that's where I ran, crying, freaking out, like, oh, my word, oh, my word, oh, my word. And so sometime later, my older sister came out and found me. And she said, Aslan, what are you doing out here? What's going on? And I'm crying. I'm like, oh, my word. I shattered the the window in the van. And I just felt terrible. I'm like, it's going to cost a bazillion dollars. And I don't have a bazillion dollars. And they don't have a bazillion dollars. And I'm going to be in trouble. And and just, she said, so I can't go in. I can't. I don't want to tell them. I just, And she said, Aslan, they already know. First of all, they already know about the window, because if you don't know what it's like to have a sibling, that's what it's like. The minute you do something wrong, 
he, so Jared, after I shot the window out, had gone inside and told them I shot the window out because he was too young to know that snitches get stitches. <laughs> but anyways, so my sister said, Aslan, they already know about the window. And, and they will forgive you. They will forgive you, but you have to come inside the house. You can't stay out here in the woods forever. You have to come inside. And this is the word of the Lord to you today. This is for someone here. Maybe it's for every one of you. Maybe it's just for one person. But this is what God says to you. I already know. I know what you did last night. I know what you did last week. I know what you did 30 years ago. And I will forgive you. There is forgiveness for you. But you have to come into the house. You have to come in. You have to face it. You have to come in and say, this is what I did, God. This is the life I've been living. These are the thoughts that I think. This is the attitude I have. This is the selfishness that consumes me. And he will forgive you. And he has done everything to forgive us. But you have to come inside. You have to come in. And so that leads us to our tremendous Savior. Here we have Jesus now entering the timeline of our life personally. And back when he entered it into history, Jesus steps in. And he says, I will take the wrath that was meant for them. Because I want them to be restored to the Father. And so Jesus dies for us when we were still sinners. What we could not become ourselves, he gives us freely. And when we were that kitten swiping at him, he died for us and he saved us. What a beautiful thing this is, Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so when I am standing in the horror and the dread of the revelation of what I look like standing next to a perfectly holy God, and I just want to melt into nothingness, into this ground, and disappear so that his eyes aren't on me, that is when he takes it and makes peace with it on the cross. And he takes that dread and he takes that sin, and he takes that shame that I feel, the embarrassment of knowing who I truly am in the light of perfection, and he says, it's done. I've taken it away, and I give you my righteousness. And if you don't understand the beginning reality of where we start, then you have no way of linking your life to faith. 
There's no connection for you of how to live this life of God's grace and appreciation for that. We have to know our beginning. We have to know our sin. We have to know the terror that is God's presence without the cross. And the amazing, beautiful thing is that Jesus didn't just die for the atonement of our sin, right? Like, we could just take that, the fact that he took all the wrath that I deserved, and he took it, and now I get to go free and spend eternity with him. We could wrap that up, put a bow on it, put it under the Christmas tree, best Christmas gift ever. And that would be more than we deserve. But he doesn't leave it at that. He also invites us into a relationship with him, a relationship like Jesus had with the Father, an omnipresent relationship that means God, that Jesus knew God was with him all the time, everywhere he went. And we know that Jesus valued this intimacy with the Father in that way, that God was always with him, that he always had his presence. We can see just by looking at the cross, the kind of relationship he had with, with the Father. Because what was the chief punishment of the cross? What was it? Was the chief punishment of the cross the scourging, the beating, the lashing? Was it the mockery? Was it the humiliation and sexual abuse of being naked in front of hundreds of people? What was the part of the cross that made Jesus cry out in agony when he felt the separation of the presence of the Father? That is when we see Jesus cry out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And so we can see the relationship they had, that at every moment he valued that presence of God, being in right relationship with God. And then when he took on our sin, he felt that presence leave. And he has invited us into that kind of relationship with God. That is supernatural. That is a supernatural savior, that now we get to be welcomed into that, that when we sin, which we still do after being, you know, getting saved, we can say, God, here is my sin, take it, be done with it, forgive me so I can be in right relationship with you. Because even after we get saved, we still have this tendency to want to hide our sin and want to try to make ourselves look better and make ourselves look holy, right? Because when we when we go to group, let's say, we will say, oh, I'm struggling. I'm struggling in my thoughts or I'm struggling with my attitude. And we use words like struggle instead of just saying I'm in sin. <laughs> I'm in sin. It was sinful this week. I'm, I, I'm in sin because I'm angry. Imagine how different your relationships would be if we talked as honestly as we ought to about our sin. If after a fight with your spouse, with your friend, if we said, you know what, pause, time out. I reacted that way because I was feeling insecure, and that's sinful. Please forgive me. I reacted that way because I feel jealous, and that's sin. I reacted that way in anger because I still haven't forgiven you. I have unforgiveness in my heart towards you, and I'm in sin because of that, because you asked me to forgive you of that last week, and I haven't. And it's making me bitter, and now I'm reacting in a sinful way. Well, how different would our relationships look if we were that honest about what was going on in our heart instead of just, I'm struggling, I'm good, it's cool, dismissing. Let's move on to the last one, treading to the finish. 
And so we need not fear. Here we have our revelation of what life is like before God, before we have the cross. Then we have uh, his resurrection power. And now as believers, we keep going, right? We keep, we keep carrying on to the finish. His word promises that he will not fail us. He will not abandon us. He will not give up on us. But that he will keep working. He will keep moving and completing what he started. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God cares about your future. He cares about holiness And so he will keep sanctifying us until we look like him. He will complete the work. God's determination to make us holy is cause for the right kind of godly fear. So so we start with, with the fear of God of knowing what it would be like without the cross. And then after we are saved, we still can hold on to that right kind of godly fear and awe because we know he's going to keep sanctifying me. He's going to keep working out those things in me that I want to hold on to. And I don't, sometimes I don't want to change my attitude. I don't want to have to change the way I talk. I don't want to have to let go of a relationship that I know is bad for me and unhealthy and sinful. But I don't want to let that go. But we have, we have that fear and trembling and that right kind of godly fear to know he is going to keep doing the work. Philippians 2, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God will not quit sanctifying us, even when, in our opinion, we are good enough. I know, this, this teaching is not like, woohoo, like no one's saying amen. I get that. I get that. But this is so good. This is so important for us to understand. It is a fearful thing to realize just how far he will go to make us a holy vessel. He is the, the potter. We are the clay. And he molds us and he forms us and he takes the lumps out of us. And sometimes we can just be like, God, get your hands off me. Like, I'm done. I'm done. You're, I don't want to change that. I don't want to change my thoughts. I don't want to. And we want to scream, get your hands off. But we can't have it both ways. We can't have him forgiving us of our sins, taking on the wrath for us, but then say, get your hands off. It's either or. Either I get me, my choices, my life, my sin, my eternity with just me and not God, or I choose him. I choose his forgiveness on the cross. And then that's saying, I'm letting you put your hands on me, God, and you're going to make me into a vessel that is holy, that looks like you. And if I'm honest, I can feel times in my life when God is pruning me, when he's sanctifying me. You know what sanctification means when I say sanctify us? It means to make you holy. That's what sanctification is, and he says he's going to do it. He's going to keep making us holy to be like him. And if I'm honest, when those times when he's doing that and he's pruning me, I just want to lift up my clay fist towards him and shake it and say, how dare you? How dare you ask me to change that or give that up? But I want to encourage you, don't do it. Put your clay hand down and remember, church, that God is sanctifying us. He's completing the work in us. Your marriage needs you to be sanctified. Your children need you to be sanctified. Your neighbors need you to be sanctified. This church needs us to be sanctified. Don't quit um, the battle. Don't give up the fight. 
Don't give in to anxiety. Don't give in to unforgiveness. Don't give in to addiction. Don't give in to believing the lie that I'll never amount to anything because my parents said I was a loser and I will always be, don't give in. Stay in the fight. Stay in, be sanctified. Let God mold us. Let him work out those things that are separating us from his presence. Let us be made into holy vessels. And the thing that keeps my attitude right when I'm getting frustrated that I'm being pruned, here's the thing with pruning. I am not a gardener, a planter, whatever, but my father loves it, my mother-in-law loves it, and so they tell me, and they show me. And my mother-in-law takes us, me and Selah, out to the backyard, and she shows us her peach tree. She says, look at all this fruit. She said, but I can't leave all this fruit on here. I have to pick some off. But I'm like, that's a peach. But she said, if all these fruits stay on here, none of them will fully develop. And so pruning means sometimes you're removing things from your life that you might think look good. You might think, God, why do I have to change this? Why is this happening to me? God is pruning us. He's sanctifying us. He's making us holy like him to be his vessel. And the thing that keeps my attitude right when I'm getting pruned The thing that makes me put my hand over my mouth so that I won't yell stop is remembering what I'm like without the cross. Is remembering what I would be, who I would be without Jesus. Without the way he's changed me. Without knowing that he's taking my wrath and I get to spend eternity with him. And so it's so important and we need, you need, I need that supernatural revelation of what life would be like if I stood in the presence of God and the, re- and the cross wasn't in front of me to cover my sin. So I'm going to ask the band to come up and I'm going to do something unusual. If you're new here today, love you. Glad you're here. Good for hanging in with us. Uh, even if you're not new, you're like, now I'm questioning if this is a church for me. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to do something kind of unusual. I asked the band to play a song And this is a song that doesn't even really exist in the world, but it was brought to my memory this week, and it was really the inspiration for the sermon, and God reminded me of this song. So this is a song that was written by Pastor Peter, and he used to have a band called Rule of Seven, and they released an album and played concerts, all this stuff, and this was a song they wrote but had not yet released, and right before they released it, uh, the band, they decided not to be a band anymore. So I had heard him play the song live at a concert. I didn't have a recording of it. This was 15 years ago, and this week, this song was brought to my memory that I had heard at a concert, so I emailed Pastor Peter, and I said, this is crazy, but do you have this song? And these were the lyrics, and he's like, what in the world made you think of this song? And I said, the Holy Spirit, is there any way you can, do you have it recorded? And he did have a recording of a practice session. And I was listening to that song this week, and I felt impressed to, for them to play it today. And so I sent them the song a day ago, and I was like, can you play the song you've never heard and nobody knows? And they were like, we can, but what's your purpose? So just so you know, this is on me. This crazy idea is on me. I realize you don't know this song. This song is not necessarily a song that would make you be like, yes, this is a great worship song. This song is written of what that feeling of terror you would have in the presence of God when you know that you're fully known and your sin is before him. And so if everyone will stand, I'm going to pray for us.
And I will have the words up there. I just want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you today. Again, this is not about me guilting you into feeling. No. We need a supernatural revelation of what our sin is like before a holy God. So that from that, our hearts can explode into flames with appreciation and gratitude at what he did for us. So whatever you need to do, if you don't want to be standing next to your spouse, just I don't care what you do, but I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you and to meditate on what it would be like if we didn't have God's grace. So Holy Spirit, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the cross. And right now, God, we're asking for you to help us remember. Remember what our life was like before you. Remember the things we've done that have grieved you, that have hurt other people, not because we're trying to torture ourselves, but we need a revelation, God, of why we need you. When we get proud and haughty and dismissive of our sin and we think it's a no, no big deal because we know we have the cross, Lord, forgive us of that. May we keep our hearts and our spirits and our sensitive to you and to how much we are in debt to you, God. Speak to us now, Father.
thank you, God. We thank you that we don't have to be afraid in your presence because we have the cross. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Thank you that we can now approach you as a father who holds us in his arms. That we don't have to be, feel that dread inside knowing that you see all the worst things about us. But we can be at peace knowing you see your son and his sacrifice and that he's made peace with it. Help us remember, Lord, that we would treat your grace with holiness and with gratitude that we wouldn't become cold to what you have done for us. You are a supernatural savior. And what you have done for us, no one else could ever do. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you that my sin doesn't have to be ever before you, always present, always screaming out against me. But you have settled it. You have made peace. You have made my sin be silent, be gone. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Forgive me for forgetting that I need you. Forgive me for forgetting my own wretchedness. How embarrassing to think of any times when I ever feel pride in my accomplishments or the things that I do. Because I know you see me for who I truly am. And now I'm your daughter. Thank you, God. Amen.